I know some of you guys are, are a little bitter at, at me about putting the ropes up over there. But uh, forgive me, but we're just trying to get everybody together, to be together. You know, the, the whole point of coming as a congregation is not to have your own row of pews or your own area of the sanctuary. The whole point is come together. Now, I've also had some people say, man, we're standing during the whole service. You don't know I got a bad hip, bad knee. I've had, I got two knee replacements and an ankle replacement. From waist down, I have more metal than I do flesh and, blood and bone, okay? I, I, I get it. I'm going to tell you my secret. Are you ready? Sit on the front row. That way you can still see the words when you sit down. Right? And, and, and in reality, Dennis, you're not sitting in the second row, right? Because you're the second row is way up here, right? But you still didn't. I, I don't understand why people don't like the leg room. I mean, I just don't get it. Okay. Either way, most of you are happy where you're sitting. And uh, to those who aren't, let the Lord give you less bitterness in your heart about where you're sitting. There you, thank you, Kurt. Leg room, you can see the screen better. You know, it's just, it's the wise way to go. Thank you. Is there, are there any others that are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit to draw near? Okay, 2 Timothy... And chapter 2, we ended last week in, in verse 1, and, and it was a message on grace. And if you weren't here, you want to go to our app or to the church website and listen to that. Hopefully everybody now is getting an email on Thursday, right, giving you what's happening, a lot of information that's really only on there. So please put your email address, pop it in the offering boxes outside there and uh, it's good stuff, but also we actually put the sermons from Sunday morning and Wednesday night. All you got to do is just push the button, and there you go. You can usually watch the whole sermon if we get it right with the video camera, which is about 80% of the time. Um, but if not, you can still listen to it. But we talked about that in verse 1. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we talked about this for quite a while, understanding that we're saved by grace through the gospel of grace. Paul calls it next 20. We continue every step we've ever taken as a believer. It's by God's power, by God's goodness, by God's mercy, by God's strength, by God's love, right? It, it, you know, we're not saved by our works, are we? We're saved by grace by having faith in that grace, it, if it were of our works, we then would have a gospel in which we boast in our doings. You know, the Church of Christ, and there used to be a Boston movement of the Church of Christ, they, they believed that until you were baptized in water, you weren't saved, because that's what washes your sins away. When I debated these guys, I, I would just ask them going, so did you get baptized? Oh, yes. Well, when did you get baptized? As soon as I believed. I said, did you do it in front of the church? Absolutely. I just went up there and I just said, here I am. I want to get saved. And I got baptized and I had my nice clothes on and I still got baptized. I said, man, you're pretty proud of that, aren't you? Yes, I am. There you go. It's of works and you're able to boast in it. The thief on the cross, what did he have to boast in? <laughs> he steps into paradise. Now, let me tell you what I did. He did nothing, right? That's salvation. So we're saved by grace, by having faith that God's cross is more powerful than my sins. That Jesus' blood flows past, present, and future is going to continue to flow. And I'm forgiven today by his grace. And when I stumble and fall, I can get up because when I sin, his grace abounds more. And then we, we, we saw that in heaven, in Ephesians 2, it says, for all of eternity, we're going to be seated with Christ in heavenly places, and infinitely, we're going to learn of the kindness of his grace. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. No harps, but we're all going to have these giant books on studying and learning and experiencing his grace. And so, when you understand the gospel of grace, when you're saved by grace, when I get through the end of the day, I don't say, praise me, praise me. 
I say, thank you, God, for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for your patience, that grace that just never runs out. Thank you that, that your grace is constantly washing me as white as snow without spot and blemish, that you are going to present me before the Father righteous. It, it's all about the grace. So when I'm struggling, I, I, I don't want to say, Brian, you can be more holy than that. You can be more righteous. I, I just go, God, I need more grace. Things I don't want to do. I'm doing the things I do want to do. I'm not doing what Help me, God. Grace. Grace, right? When they were trying to build the temple, and there in Zechariah, the Lord spoke to him and said, it's, look at that mountain. It was the, the project was just smashing him as the high priest and, and everybody there. And, and, and he says, go tell the priest it's not by might, nor by power, but it's my, by my spirit, says the Lord. And when he believes that, here's what I want you to do. Tell him to shout at that building project, grace, grace, and God will do it. Isn't that awesome? Man, I'm struggling with anger. Grace, grace. Shout to that mountain of anger, right? Be strong in the grace. Wherever we fell, the answer isn't in us. The power is not of us. It's always going to be starting with the grace. And the grace is going to be at the end. And the grace is in the middle. We've got a gospel of grace. We've got a story of grace. And we've got an infinite grace that we're going to learn about for eternity. And so that's really the first thing he tells Timothy is once you are in the grace and you are a man of grace and you are living by that wonderful grace of God in your life. Now, here's what I want you to do next in verse two. Now, you thought I was going to read verse two, didn't you? I'm not. Because I, we need to skip down to verse 7 because you need to understand how important these next few verses are. And verse 7 is going to tell you how important these next few verses are. What does it say there? Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding and what? Whoa. Do you understand this? I mean, you don't have verses like this through the Bible. There's a couple of them in there. There's a few verses, like in Psalms 1, it says you meditate in God's word day and night. You'll prosper in all that you do. Joshua was told the same thing, that he would have sure success and prosperity if the word of God never departed from his mouth. There's a few verses that, that sort of say, if you get these few concepts and you just sort of landed and stayed there, you're unlocking a door and walking into a world that's going to make sense. But we could say on the flip side of the coin to, on, uh, also, if you don't understand this, if you don't get this, then you're really going to be trying to live the Christian life, but sort of in the dark, right? You, you're, you, you sort of half know what you're doing and not, and you're sort of landing in the same place and being discouraged in the same things and, and, and trying to figure it out still. But he's saying, Timothy, I, I want you to get this. Because if you can get this, these next few concepts, it's going to unlock the door to all the theology, all the knowledge of God, all the obedience and, and walking in holiness. This is the key. So now, let's go back to verse 2. So, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he says here, you've heard the gospel of grace. I've declared it. I've declared grace in a million different ways. And you know the doctrine of grace. And you understand now that, that you need to grab some guys and with this grace, you need to start building them up in the things of the Lord. 
So grab some guys that are grace men. I love that. I love grace people. Because you're running a little late, and they're just like, it's okay, man. No big deal. I, I love you. It's Lord's timing. You know, you say something stupid, and they're like, I do it all the time, too. Grace, brother. Don't you like being around grace people? I just love people that are just loving God's grace. I love being around people like that. They are just in love with Jesus, and they're walking in the grace, and there's just a, a sweetness about them because they're, they're not focused on their selves and their strength and their abilities and their failures and their accomplishments. They're just so enraptured with Jesus and his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. They're, they're soaking it up and they're a sponge and they give it out. <laughs> so when you got people pickling in grace <laughs> and you're pickled in grace, and everything you do is from grace, and everything has the flavor of grace, then grab those guys. And all these other teachings now make sense. All the stuff that we're to do as Christians, our spiritual duties, so to speak. It's our duty, isn't it, to, to be in the word of God every day? I mean, it is. But if, if it starts with duty, it's like all of the religions, right? I mean, the, the, the Buddha says, you know, cut your hair, get a ponytail, quit eating meat, here's a robe. You know, they, they have all these duties, and then you start doing these duties, and then inwardly, all these duties will make you, you know, a holier person. All religions like that. All religion says, start doing this, you know? Become a Jehovah Witness, get your hair cut, get a suit, get your briefcase. You know, here's what we need you to do. And once you start doing this inside, you'll start becoming a truer and truer witness of Jehovah. All religions do that. Christianity does the opposite. It says, as the sweetness of God's love and grace is in you, and you are born again as a gift of God, not works, but God's now in you. His Holy Spirit is in you. And now out from the inner man comes obedience. But it's not just obedience because I want to be holy. It's obedience because I love God. And I find that as I'm strong in the grace, I am obedient, but it's not me. It really is God's Spirit helping me to be holy in ways I could never be holy. And so once these guys are loving the grace, they're living in the grace, they're rejoicing daily in the grace, they believe in it in themselves. They're boldly proclaiming the grace. Get these kind of guys. And here's what you need to understand. First of all, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So before verse three is grace. <laughs> now that you're experiencing the grace and you're loving the presence of God, you, you know there's no condemnation in Christ. And, and man, I just, out of love, I'm responding. It's not out of being holier so I can shove it down everybody else's throat. You should be holy as me. I'm not gonna be holier so God will accept me and let me into heaven. No, no. I'm not doing any duties to try to gain God's approval or try to look better than the guy next to me or try to attain out of my own strength to a higher level of spirituality. No, it's just I'm truly responding to the one I love and I find that I want to do that which pleases him because I love him. You see, if it's for any other reason, you've left Christianity to another religion, right? I've seen churches, I've been a part of churches where the pastors sort of turn everything to point out that you're failing and that you need to quit failing me, quit failing each other, quit failing God and, and get more serious about whatever it is, they're on that point, right? So you're not praying as you ought. You're not reading the Bible as you ought. 
You're not evangelizing as you, as you ought. No, the no, Bible says we should provoke one another, love and good works. I'm not saying there's not going to be sermons like that where it's saying, hey, I, I'm not walking out the spirit as I should. I'm not saying there's not going to be convicting messages. But you, you leave the gospel of grace and to say, out of love, out of thankfulness, out of a heart where God chose me before the foundations of the world, I'm his I'm a glorious person that God's made me out of his image and I am a king's kid, right? We're his royal priesthood, his holy nation. And now I want to walk in a manner worthy of him because I love him. Okay, so you're asking me then, how do I love Jesus more? You're asking me then, okay, you, you, you really want to be the most fruitful Christian you can be and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, walking as Jesus would have you to walk because you love him. Okay, now we can talk about those spiritual duties. It looks like this. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I want to point out, first of all, it says you must. So a person who is, as we would describe, grab faithful men who you're able to teach. So these faithful guys that are living in the grace and pursuing to walk as Jesus has had them to walk, the first thing you're going to see is that these guys sense, I must. <laughs> Why must you? Because the love of God is constraining me. God's grace is so good, I feel like I'm going to explode if I don't live a deeper, loving, more powerful, more fruitful Christian life. Have you, have you guys experienced that, that Malachi verse that says that, it, that if you will test God in giving your tithes and offerings and that particular thing, but it's in every area of life, it says, and see if you will not open the windows of heaven and pour out you more than you can handle. That's what grace does. It's like, oh, I'm experiencing so much. I, I can't stay like this. I'm gonna explode. I gotta give out. I, you know, when you go to Israel, the tour guide or, or whoever will, will tell you that Galilee is an unusually small lake, but it's very, very plentiful. And it's those beautiful springs, waters come down from Caesarea Philippi and they make a little, the Jordan River that flows into the Sea of Galilee there, the lake. But then the lake comes out and the, this, the, the Jordan River continues and it flows down to the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea doesn't have any life in it because it doesn't have an outlet. There's nothing flowing out of it. It flows to the Dead Sea and it stays there and stagnates. And, and this, is, this is what happens. There's that point that just goes, I'm receiving love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and thank you, Lord. And it's just like, no more. I gotta have an outlet here. I, I, this is, it's just get, I'm getting bigger and bigger as this lake and I, I just, I need it, I needed it to flow to others. I need life happening in others. I need joy. I need to bring joy to the heart of God or I'm, I'm going to explode. And so I must, I, I sense it in myself. I must be not a soldier, but a good soldier. Now, I live in a military town, San Diego, around all kinds of military people. And, and, and there are good military people. And then there are people that are just collecting a paycheck. I had a guy in the Navy and, and he told me one time, he goes, as soon as you get on the ship, you, you're one of two people. You're a guy who is, is conscientious about what they've been asking you to do. And you go in and you get it done in a timely fashion. You do a good job. And then there's other people that will 
take all the time in the world, and when they're done, it'll be a crappy job. And the reason they do that, because somebody told them, if you do that, they'll quit asking you to do stuff. But if you do a good job, they're going to say, hey, can you do this, this, and this, and this? Because they know you're going to get it done in a timely fashion and do it well. And so you got people that are exhausted doing far more than they should. And then you got other guys that are just getting the paycheck going, this is the greatest thing in the world. Cruising around out here on the Navy ship. Man, I love the Navy. Stay here till life. <laughs> but they're just taking advantage of an opportunity and they're really not doing their job. And so in Christianity, you'll discover, and it's true of this church as well, about 10% of the people will give financially. About 10% of the people will serve in some way. And then you'll find that 10% of the people will also, a different 10%, will eat up all the pastor's time saying, help me, help me, help me, help me, you know. And, and you got 10% of the people just sucking the life out of the pastors because they're not walking fruitfully. And so they're always in need, leaning on the pastors to try to help them make the Christianity work. And they're always complaining how they're not there when they need them there. And so there just comes that point to say, okay, I'm a soldier of Christ Jesus. Do we, do we believe that? I mean, that's pretty common knowledge when you come to Christ. You become a soldier in the Lord's army. But it's not just a soldier. It is a good soldier. Not just a you know, pile of human flesh occupying space uh, on the Navy ship. But you, you actually are doing a, a faithful, powerful work. And if you, you want to know, you know, it's funny seeing guys in the Marine Corps in San Diego. You, you know when these guys are gung-ho Marines, are Army guys, because they finally get enough money to buy a car, and what do they buy? A Jeep. Just like the one they drive all day on the base. They, they, they feel like a Marine when they're on the base, or an Army guy, but then they, they want a Jeep to drive home in, and those things are pretty miserable. They're loud and cranky, and uh, you'd get up over 50 miles an hour, and they shake your teeth out, you know? But yet, they do that. <clears throat> And, and they, they love their haircut, making it clear who they are. And there's, even when they're not in their uniform, they walk in a certain way that gives it away. If you, you, you've, you've noticed that. And in essence, he's saying, this is the way Jesus sort of was. He was a good soldier. And, 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 and everybody who have followed Christ, they walk like he walked, talk like he talked. Remember the apostles? They said, we know that you guys are unlearned, educated people, but we also are 100% confident you are the ones that were with Jesus because it's just so evident when they stood before them there in, in Acts 4. Well, it, it's just sort of clear. I'm in the Lord's army. Whether in uniform or out of uniform, everything about me just doesn't want to leave uh, the military base. I eat, drink, and sleep it. And, and therefore, he gets involved with as little civilian duties as he can get away with so he can put all his time and energy in being that enlisted soldier. And that's the kind of guys that, that do get promoted, right? They eat, sleep, drink, whatever armed force they're in. And in essence, Jesus says here that that's people that are just so consumed with the grace of God and his love they just never find a situation where they, they are not thinking of themselves as a soldier, even when they're going about everyday life. It's just not a job to them. It's a life. It's a lifestyle. It's something they don't turn off, even when they're off the base uh, in another set setting. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, great good soldiers, I would say, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. 
that we can run with endurance the race that's set before us. You know, some people say, well, entangled himself. What sinful things? I don't think it is sinful things. I just think that he's a guy saying, man, the Lord's going to come soon, and my life is short, and the opportunities to share with certain people are are the times running out. And um, I want to make every opportunity I can to, to be in Christ and be a salt and a light for Christ. In Mark 4:19, Jesus says that the seeds go out and then there's seeds that don't bear fruit. And one of the seeds that don't bear fruit, it says in Mark 4:19, notice here, it's not sins at all except for one of them. It says the cares of this world, then here's the sinful one, the deceitfulness of riches, a greedy person. But here's the next one, the desire for other things. They enter in and choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. And so there's that point of being in the world, but not of it. There's that point where you got this guy who's living in the grace. He's going to explode unless he lives his life for Christ. But he never, even for a moment, sees himself outside of being a soldier of Christ. Wherever he goes, the way he walks, the way he talks, his attitude, the way his brain works, it's clear that although he's not on the base and and working as a soldier, he is always a soldier, right? Once a Marine, what? Always a Marine. Hoo-ah, right? I don't know. That's what they do. I I never was in the military. Uh, And then it says, so it can please him who enlisted him as a, into the military, which is Jesus. And in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let us, as good soldiers, get our eyes fixed upon Jesus and realize he's the author and the finisher Uh, of our faith, and and it's for the joy that he remained steadfast as a good soldier, going all the way to the cross, and he died, and he did it with joy. You see, there's just just something that happens. We often see guys (coughs) who get out of boot camp from the Navy or Marines or whatever, and you ask one guy, going, how did boot camp go? It was the best experience of my life. They shaved my head. I had to get up early. They screamed at us. We had to do push-ups all the time. They, man, it was just the best experience. I feel like I'm a man now. But I'd say about 50% of the time, you get people going, man, as soon as I get home, I am going to kill that guy who talked me into joining the military. <laughs> you have no idea how hard this is. They're unfair, and they're mean, and they shaved my head. I had such nice hair before the Marines, and then now they're, and, and now they're, just, they're just completely messing up my life, and I tried everything I can to get out of it, but I got another four years to my contract. There's no way I can get out of it. Pray for me. It's so miserable. It, it, two people, same experience, very different outcome. And so with Jesus, he never said, I wish I didn't sign up for this. He went all the way to the cross like a soldier, even after they beat him almost to death and ripped his beard out and put holes in his hand with nails. He was a man's man on that cross. He didn't curse at anybody. He didn't get in the flesh. He was just loving on people and, John, take care of my mom. And, and yes, thief, you'll, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, right to the end. What an example. And so we also now want to walk as soldiers, good soldiers. And then the next thing we look at is an athlete, verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we would say again here, it's not just an athlete, but we would say an honest athlete. Or I'd even say an honorable athlete. And so if a guy has done well in his sports and he has done it honorably, I think 
The name that comes to mind immediately to me is Lance Armstrong. I mean, one of the hardest things to do is to win in France the bike race, right? And he wins, what, seven times? And the whole time he was mixing stuff up to have a more amount of oxygen in his blood and, and all kinds of steroids that they hadn't learned how to test yet. It was just, and, and even though he, he might have won, he wasn't going to chance the honorable way of winning. <laughs> he was going to rig the system to make sure that he won. And so now he won, but it's totally just a black mark. He didn't do it honorably. And of course, if you think about it, Paul mentioned sports a lot. In 1 Corinthians 9, he talked about track and field, and he talked about boxing. And then in talking about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, he talked about wrestling. And in essence, you think about these things, they, they are very precise. I mean, if you're going to make the Olympics, <laughs> you're going to eat, sleep, and drink your sport, aren't you? I mean, you're counting every calorie that goes into your body, and you're calculating down to seconds how much you run or work out or whatever. But you, then you see them, like on the, the fastest race, the, you know, Mark, get ready, you know, and then the gun will shoot, and beep, now everybody come back. <laughs> The guy leaned forward in a fraction, a fraction of a, a second. He, he leaned a little bit forward. Now we gotta start, the, start back over. You ever see that? They're like three or four times and finally, you know, it's just precise rules. Or you see the guy where, you know, two minutes left in the game and they throw the big football and, and the guy grabs the football and, and he is in the end zone and then whoosh, a flag comes out. And it's like, you pushed off the other guy. To, to, you pushed him away to get the ball. It's, it's a foul. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? But yet, this is, again, people saying, I, I understand that it's not just doing athletics willy-nilly. I, I realize that you, you've got to do this honorably. And you've got to embrace all the rules that's fair to everyone. You know, it's interesting Again, in, in American Christianity, or even Western, I would say, we're so independent in our thinking, we all think that we can make our own fashion of Christianity. I see this. It's like, well, I understand your Christianity, but my Christianity is equally as good, but... And then they do what Paul says is flesh, licentiousness. They give themselves a license. You know, I don't talk about this because I know other Christians... They don't think they can do this, but I can do this and still have a fire on fire heart for the Lord. When Jesus said there is one way, one truth, one life, Jesus says to be a Christian is to walk just like me. And so, if you would, the, the form is Jesus. And so I'm having to give myself to this sport and, and I'm doing everything I can to win at this sport, but I'm not doing it in my own fashion. I'm not doing it in the energies of my own flesh that I've created that this type of Christianity that other people really can't get it unless they're smart and clever like me. But, you know, I have a Christianity where I don't have to tithe. I have a Christianity where I don't have to read the Bible every day. I have a Christianity where I can actually go out and get drunk only one time a month, and that's what me and God agreed with. I get drunk once a month, and I used to be every week, but now I, you know, I, I've got my own form of Christianity, and me and God have worked out a, a special arrangement on the side. And, and you're only deceiving yourself. And he is saying, the faithful men, the, there are these soldiers that are just... They just want to keep their eyes on Jesus and be a soldier like Christ Jesus. They never want to leave the base. They just want to keep being a military person. You got these guys that are just stud athletes and they're giving themselves to a sport and, and they're honorable in every way that they do it. They're honorable. And then the next thing we see is a hard working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. 
Again, it doesn't say farmer. It says a hardworking farmer. There's good soldiers, not good soldiers. There's athletes, and then there's honorable athletes. And there are farmers, and then there are farmers. Now, I grew up in a farming community in Central California, and I was around farmers. Our church was full of farmers. And I've never, outside of farming communities, have never seen men of greater character than farmers. There is something about you got your field and you're faithful with that. Year in, year out, year in, year out. They, they, they have a schedule. They, they could literally make a nine-year schedule as a farmer, you know, because they, they know what it takes. They know when the seasons are. They know their soil inside out. They can look at that soil and they can tell you what it's lacking. They know the, the ups and the downs and the drainage and what parts of the field are going to need more water than others. And these guys are just rocks. No matter what happens, they, they're just consistent guys. Just, just solid individuals. And they are incredibly hardworking. They don't think they are. They're just doing what they know to do. <laughs> But yet, the average guy that hasn't lived in a farming community gets, goes out into a farming community, it just about kills them within a couple of weeks. Because it's, it's like, this is, this is harder than, and then the idea of I'm going to do this till the day I die for the next 50 years. But yet, if you know farmers, they love it. They love it. And they're the first ones that get to taste the first ripe grape. <laughs> they're the one that gets to chuck the first corn and take a look at it and, and bite into it. But here I think he's saying that the pastor that is diligent in studying the word, matter of fact, in verse 15 of this same chapter, he's gonna say, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. That Timothy, specifically, I'm talking about farming in the Bible. And that you're plowing this stuff up and you're just faithful in the word, meditating it day and night, year after year, season after season, 18, 19, when you're 35, when you're 55, you've just been chewing on this word for decades and, and you just keep you know, plowing in that same field and those same verses and, and God's speaking to you deeper and, and it's more fruitful. And yet when, before you're giving out the fruit of that, it's true to you. You know, this, this is a scary thing. Jesus says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be those who teach the word of God and do it. The least is those who teach it and don't do it. James says that the teachers are going to be judged the hardest in the kingdom of God. And so he is saying, Timothy, don't just talk about being a committed Christian and you know in your own heart you're really not. Don't, don't get this great sermon on Joshua that dazzles everybody and they all walk out going, whoo, man, that was, that was a great sermon. But yet, as you plowed in it for those weeks before you preached it, it never affected your own heart. Right? Man, this passage is... You know, if I teach it right, it should make you a more diligent Christian. And boy, I'm, I'm, I'm very great at, at pointing out these wonderful points. But yet, if it's not true in me, it's not like, well, that's okay. It's no, it's a tragedy. And the reality is, is a pastor who can keep doing that for very long, his hypocrisy is going to come out one way or another, isn't it? You know, as I was studying this passage... I didn't want to think about Gil. I really didn't. I did everything I could to put him out of my mind. But yet as I read this and studied this, I, I realized that this is exactly it, where people are asking, how could a man pastor for 32 years run off with the secretary and seem to be emotionally fine about it? Seems to be very... Um, relationally okay. There's no real shame to the degree at least you would think. 
no sorrow to the least degree you would think. And I, I'm looking at this going, man, Paul had it right in verse 7. Consider what I say. <laughs> and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And if you're not doing this, if these three elements are not in your Christian walk, you're going to be traveling down a path that eventually is going to run off the edge of a cliff. What are those things? He says, be strong in the grace. Be a good soldier. Be an honorable athlete. Be a hardworking farmer. Eat of that fruit that before you give it out. You're, you're experiencing the nutrients and the flavor of those grapes and that corn and those tomatoes. Before anybody else ever eats it, you've been just totally experiencing the, the sweetness and the nutrition of that fresh produce. And then in verse 8, he goes on to say, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to the gospel. What we have is simple. It's a simple gospel. There it is. Remember that it's, this is it. Jesus, our Messiah, came into human flesh. You can track it. It's traceable. Jesus has a traceable lineage. It wasn't just some guy who popped out in the middle of the desert, has no mother, no father, no, you know, he's just uh, alien from another planet. Not at all. He has a traceable human lineage as a Jew to the tribe of Judah, and his lineage can be traced all the way back to Abraham. But he was God in human flesh because he died and he rose again. Paul says it in this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. It's this simple. Christ died according to our, for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he might, he was buried, and that he was rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. End of story. That's the gospel. And I'll tell you what, the natural man cannot receive that. It's foolishness to him. It's not intellectual. It's, it's prideful because I have no part in, in be, having the glory of my salvation. Paul later tells the Corinthians, it, it seems like 1 Corinthians 15 didn't affect him enough because in 2 Corinthians 11, the next letter he writes them in verse 3, he says, now I fear for you lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from what? The simplicity that is in Christ. You, 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 unless you can make this an intellectual prideful thing, unless you can make this some philosophical thing, unless you can ha have some kind of preeminence in your theology, no. Christianity was not meant to rule people out because they don't have a doctorate of theology. Christianity wasn't meant to rule anybody out because they're living out in the jungle and they don't even know what running water is or electricity. No. No, the gospel can be applied to the most simple of cultures, to people that have no intellect, to those who are brilliant, Everything in between. The gospel is that. It's Jesus Christ came into human flesh. He died for our sins and he rose again on the third day. The thief on the cross believed it. Jesus, Lord, when, future tense, you come into your kingdom, remember me. He believed Jesus was Lord. He believed he was gonna raise from the dead. And he believed he was king over all. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, in verse 9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Why am I suffering? Because I believe Jesus came in the human flesh and died and rose again. And I am now looked at by man, being rammed through the legal system as if I'm a criminal. And I'm in chains for years. But even here, the word of God's not changed. I just found a new mission field that I didn't know it existed. It's called the prison system. This is, this is standard operating procedure for the righteous in this earth. 
Joseph was looked at as an evildoer, right? And everything he did was walking righteously. But he went from slavery into imprisonment. Daniel, the second empire, the Medo-Persian empire, the satraps tried to make it look like Daniel was not loyal to the king because he prayed three times a day and thrown into a lion's den. We've been studying the life of David and how Saul did everything he could to, to make David look like this rebellious um, man who just wanted to kill Saul in his flesh and take over the empire for his own fleshly desires. And of course, Jesus, <laughs> nailed, hung on a cross between two criminals. And Apostle Paul, all the apostles, but including Paul, there's some wonderful verses here I laid out, not time to study them all here tonight. And I often add a lot into my notes that I don't plan on preaching, but they're there for your use. But uh, Jesus said there in, in John 16, I'm saying these things that you don't, that you don't stumble. They are gonna, the time's gonna come when they're gonna kill you thinking they're offering God's service. He goes on in John 15 and John 17 to say, they're gonna hate you because they hated me. They're gonna hate you because you're not of the world. You're of my, you're living of my world. <laughs> and they're gonna, they hated me because I wasn't of their world. They're gonna hate you. And, and the father knows it. I, I just don't want you to get stumbled over this because this is standard operating procedure for the righteous person in an unrighteous world. You're gonna be seen as evil by them. In 1 John 3.13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Well, moving on in verse 10. Therefore, I endure all these things for the sake of the elect, that they all may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. I am at work knowing that not every man is going to believe. And the, often those who don't believe are going to cause my life to suffer because they're unbelievers. I shared with them the truth, and now they hate me because I tried to bring them into the light when they loved the darkness. And now they see me as an enemy, see me as a criminal to the society because I tried to shine the light, and they did not want the light. Now they hate me. And that's what we signed up. But yet those who believe, who are predestined, who are elected before the foundations of the world, those who the Father's drawing unto his Son, when they get born again, it's worth it. I go to one city and I share with a thousand people, one after the one they get yelled at, screamed at, rocks thrown at me, beaten, you know, robbed. And then one guy says, I believe, I want Jesus in my life. And he starts living as a good soldier, an honorable athlete, a hardworking farmer. And the things that I've been telling him, he goes out and tells other guys, other faithful men that are on fire for the Lord. It's worth it. And of course, in eternity, it's gonna be worth it, huh? I mean, I, I hope nobody here gets to heaven not having led somebody to Christ that, that's gonna be going, man, thank you so much. I had a guy years ago who, who said, man, this guy I worked with, there was a group of us, and we made his life hell for not partic participating in our sinful world, you know? Horrible jokes, going out drinking, getting drunk, womanizing, talking about their womanizing. And this guy just wouldn't be a part of it. And, and it was clear, you know, he was a Christian. He'd read his Bible during lunch and stuff, and they, they just made his life hell. For 15 years, the guy was there, made his life hell. But this guy, different opportunities, people going through hard stuff, he would share the gospel. And, and, and eventually, one day, the guy just came desperate, opened the Bible, read it, got saved. And he goes, man, I wish I could find that guy. I can't find him. I don't know where he's at. I don't know where he moved, but I want to tell him it was worth it. You know, thank you. I don't think I ever would have done that without all those seeds being planted and watered on and it took a long time but but I, I i wonder if that guy just felt so beat up after all those years that he just said uh, i'm retiring and i don't want to tell anybody about jesus again it was just too brutal he goes that's what i'm afraid of 
I want to tell him, don't stop. Even if you had 15 years of no success that you saw, you had success. The word of God didn't return void. And so Paul is saying, look, I know it's an endurance lesson. I know there's great suffering involved. Satan is not going to let go of the people in the world that he thinks he owns uh, to stupid little punks like you who are giving such a ridiculous, foolish message, simple, so simple-minded that now they leave his doings and they walk into the light and the love of the beloved son. Well, we're going to go into this next part next week, but let me read it. It's a poem. It's a psalm. This was the bulk of what I wanted to talk about, but actually we don't have service for the next two Wednesdays because of the holidays. But when we get back, we're going to look at the rest of this, but it reads this way. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Wow, it's sharp. Did you feel that? It's a sharp two-edged sword. You're, you're like going, oh, this is comforting. You know, oh, this is comforting. And then it's like, if you deny him, he denies you. Whoa! But if you're faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. Oh, yeah, I like that. But there's clearly two sides to this edge in there. And this is what we're going to talk about. Well, Lord, thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you for the abundance of your word. Lord, we come and we want to have this key in our hands that if we understand these things, we have an understanding into a whole world of knowledge of you, of theology, of walking as you would have us to walk. And so, Lord, here we are tonight, knowing that we are saying, Lord, we know that your word is spiritual. Our natural man can't understand it. Only those who have spiritual ears can, can discern and receive. But Lord, we ask now that as we meditate on these things, chew on these things, that they would go deeper and deeper into our souls, not just in our minds, but it would go right down into our very will, our choices, loving what you love to the degree you love it, hating what you hate to the degree you hate it, we could have a number of passions about a lot of things in this world, but we reserve all our passion to you, Jesus. We can give ourselves to a lot of wonderful earthly cares of this life, desire for other things, but yet we choose out of joy, not feeling like we're losing out at all, just to, in you live and move and have our being to live, to be fruitful, to share our faith, to disciple people who are willing to just give their life and surrender to you to start pouring into them all that you've poured into us. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Merry, Merry Christmas. This coming Sunday morning, we are going to have a Christmas service, and uh, we'll be looking at that. And then the next week, we'll have a New Year's service uh, on Sunday morning. God bless you. Bye.